Promise No Promises The Tail and the Tongue Episode 9 Birds and Cats The podcast Promise No Promises unfolds a further chapter The Tail and the Tongue this series of new episodes arises from conversations between curator and writer Sonia Fernandez-Pan and guests from different storytelling practices and world-making experiences. For a conversation to take place, it is sufficient when two people start talking to each other. However, conversations are never happening just between two people. A conversation holds many bodies, places, stories and experiences. It develops languages and creates interpersonal and temporary dialects. Sharing is also a way of collecting seemingly individual circumstances. Our bodies host many narratives, speaking borrowed words and making stories an important part of who we become. Stories travel between bodies dwelling in them. Always in motion, they have no end. Words make worlds in which reality and its fictions travel through the tongue to become tales. Birds and Cats is the ninth episode that follows a conversation with artist Laure Prouveau. The title of this podcast stems from one of the first questions I asked Laure during our conversation, inspired by the multiple characters she embodies through her projects, where fiction becomes real, where art calls to experience. Laure Prouveau's answer to my question about who she would like to be if she wasn't herself was a bird, commenting on this animal's ability to fly. To her reply, I added that I would like to be a cat, perhaps because one of its great talents is the daily right to laziness in a world where life works relentlessly. We ended the conversation by returning to our animal relationship as bird and cat, with Laura flirting with the possibility that one catches and eats the other. It would be in 2019 when visiting her exhibition In Reflection We Rest at the Berlin Gallery Kallier Gebauer that I would get to know one of the many biographies that Laure Prouveau has written about herself over the years. In this and other biographies, the artist strays from traditional artist biographies describing her work according to the narrative and experiential drive of her projects and her way of naming them. The institutional curriculum is replaced by a list of situations that her projects were able to create for us. Melting into another, an occupied paradise, deep sea blue surrounding you, a waiting room with objects, a new museum for granddad, a tea room for grandma, a karaoke room, a new octopus ink vodka bar for Gregor, a travel agency for an uncle, a lobby for love amongst the artists. Within these places, we are no longer an impersonal audience, but characters who enter temporal worlds, where fiction becomes materially present and real. The narrative and effective importance of things gains weight with some questions that Laure Prouveau includes in our conversation and that her work answers affirmatively. 
Can objects be empathetic beings? The difference between fiction and lying is a question I also shared with Laure Provo, Inspired by how she never fully reveals what is fiction and what is not in her work, neither in the way she talks about the processes of her projects. The storytelling surrounding her artistic practice is another element of her work, strategically confusing spheres that the traditional art system insists on keeping apart. The union between realms that we separate with language is something that art can disprove. As we talk, Laura will say that she does not feel that she writes, even though words and language are very important in her projects and processes. In any case, she writes with images that translate some sensations and produce others, showing how senses tend to work together rather than separately. The visual dimension of language is something Laura Prouveau points out in many other conversations and interviews. There's something hypnotic in how she creates images with words. Besides the magnetism and suggestion that her worlds produce, there is the ability with which a single word is capable of creating infinite images. When we say the word table, the table that each person imagines is different. Sometimes a word is worth a thousand images. This conversation with Laure Prouveau took place in April 2022. She was in a residence whose location I don't think I got to know or ask about. I was in Berlin, listening to her words from the computer and paying attention to the sound of the strokes of a drawing that Laure brought into our meeting. There are many similarities between writing and drawing. Both arise from the body. Both produce a physical and intimate relationship between head and hands. My curiosity made me ask Laura what she was drawing. She replied that she was drawing eyebrows. In any other conversation, I would have been worried that an unexpected sound would appear and interfere with the recording. This time I felt quite the opposite. The strokes of Laura's drawing added sound textures to her words, like those that appear in her films and which sometimes blend with the way her voice leaves a trace scratching into the silence to increase the intensity of a conscious and sought-after intimacy. To listen to her voice and strokes, come in and enjoy. I think creating my own biography is something that's been in the practice in some way for a while, or the idea of not being simplified as well or categorized. And I think that's something that has always been like from day one, I didn't want to be cornered into a video artist or into a French artist or a British.
I think with art, we have a chance of creating other systems and realities. So I think to really dive in the same system that's been existing for so long or sort of having this kind of um, very direct narration of someone's history or life is kind of a little bit frustrating in some way because it's nice to just invent and being someone putting yourself in different characters and personalities that gives a lot of freedom of being able to say things that you might not dare to say as well if it was from that one point your own perspective and your own perspective is much more kind of predictable almost or you know and and it's also that if can we uh art should bring new imaginaries it makes life slightly more um, on edge maybe on inch to enhance it in some ways yeah It's the future bio. It's historical already. You historicize an artist when it's, we're just there and reacting to a situation. And this idea of already corner putting, organizing you. I think society's been so good at. I mean, of course, we need some time, you know, drum and bass. If we don't have the word for it, it just gets a bit lost as well. So, of course, you need moments of that. If you can controverse it as well, it's kind of fun and create your own narrative and movement. Exactly. You need both, yeah. Because I change by you all quite regularly. Do you want me to read it? So it's, I've got it for you. Okay, here we are. So Laure Prouveau lives and works between Monaco and Knock. She practiced making video, boobs, sounds and teacups, object and installation. Here a long list of museums and institutions. A line, interesting things. Comma, a line, a list of residences and prices. A selection of solo projects, including melting into another in Lisbon. An occupied paradise in Atlas. Deep sea blue surrounding you in Venice and Toulouse and Maastricht. A waiting room with object in Minneapolis. A new museum for granddad in Milano. A tea room for grandma in Derry. A karaoke room in Brussels. An octopus ink vodka bar for Gregor in Rotterdam. A travel agency for an uncle in Frankfurt and in Seoul. A lobby for love among the artists in the Hague and Luzerne. Tea bags and wet floors and tentacles. I've got a lot of different bios, so this one is kind of in. Yeah, it's good, why not? <laughs> what I kind of like with this one is it's the narrative of the exhibitions. It's not about exhibition, it's about creating situation in different places. It's almost creating a tea room or a waiting room or being deep sea blue. I think it doesn't position 
the idea of the institution or the exhibition, and that's something I like. Yeah, I think failure is something it's important to to let this the possibility to happen, I think. Of course, there's a, a lot of pressure on making something that works. For me, it's not so much about succeeding within a system or ways failure comes in. You know, it's failure to you or to others or to to the system who starts to who has the power to give you opportunities. And but I think there's moments where you you're less sure for sure, and you're trying. And I think that's. These moments are so important because if not, you're just going to repeat a certain system, which may be smarter because you got it, you you know your own language. I think at the same, I'm restless in terms of experiencing and I, I'm very responding to situation or wherever I am or, or invitation. And, and that's, that can lead me to some kind of failure, I think, because I don't especially hold to a system, a way of working, but then its failure is letting mistake or the unpredictable come in. Failure is also sometimes when you lack of, uh, can be also a lack of maybe focus and preciseness. So I don't know. I mean, it's so hard with failure because you kind of need the, for me, it's more about mistakes or things that have gone wrong, important, and then I hold them kind of dear. I think failure is maybe for me when you lose what you, you really meant you tried to do or meant to do. Sometimes it kind of brings something else. But yeah, I don't know if you can see it straight away, the failure. I mean, you can have critics and then your own um, acknowledgement to it is something else, I think, or... For me, it's, uh, it's still uh, controlling my time and having the right time and the right amount of resource in terms of research and just time with subject that creates a piece in a kind of depth. pleasure of making for sure it's the pleasure of the creation usually uh, is felt in the work you're right like the venice road trip was really pleasurable in terms of gathering and meetings and people and especially for making the piece i mean all that was around sometimes was very heavy you know but the pleasure of the creation is definitely you're right, I think it's very important. I mean, some people are really look for tension. I'm more for exchange and kind of collaboration on the moment and even a lot of input from people. And so being very um, elastic with ourselves, especially when it's the filming or the moment when I am with the subject and I'm dealing with it, I have this very elastic and playful moment which drive the peace then I think when it's about 
bringing the work together, it, it's really pleasurable <laughs> it's, uh, in some ways because it's much more myself. I mean, sometimes it's pleasurable when it starts to work, but it's also a huge amount of concentration and dedication in terms of time. There's no need to push something when it's not the right place or moment. It's also giving the right energy to each things and not sort of running. Sometimes we just try a bit too many things. <laughs> I think I've been incredibly... Uh, I managed to dig a tunnel and show... I mean, in Vilnius, they, they dig this huge tunnel and show the film at, in a burrow at the bottom of the... at the end of the tunnel. This is a kind of thing I never thought would, would ever happen, you know, this kind of... a bit mad. So sometimes it's amazing how much still possibilities to get things done. I think in the airport you could do it. You just need to work on it. I, I'll ask my uncle, he's got this deep travel agency. I'm sure he's going to be able to help you with that because he's really into uh, traveling to other consciousness. So I think we can make things happen. I'm really pretty sure. Anything I would have, I'd like to be, I think I'd like to be a bird for a day, uh, but more, more turning into a bird. So I think that's quite. If people could become, if could there be a show where you, you turn into a bird, I don't know. Physically really turning into another being, to really completely, it's not about, wouldn't be about trying to, it's, yeah. That's, I don't know if it's a, an artwork, but I think it could be, yeah. We should write this uh, on, uh, on our, for, when we, on our deeds, or what do you call it when you, to make sure we, we're in the right place. To go to heaven, we'll, we'll write a big list of things we really want to <laughs> achieve. Yeah, lying. There was this big article, Laure Proves the Biggest Liar You'll Ever Meet, that the Le Monde published, and I was like, oh, I'm not a liar. <laughs> I was very upset. <laughs> there was a big article around, I think, the, I can't remember when it was out. But lying is also you're very creative when you lie. Why not seeing myself as a liar? That's so much fun, so much playfulness. And the great thing is you look at everything with kind of less words, but more the magic of everything or the craziness of everything. Love, why do we do this? Why do we do that? It's really something we need to keep. With lying, I think it's, I think a child is pretty good at lying. 
my daughter's getting very good at it. And it's kind of a good tool. I mean, it's it's a fine balance. Of course, there's some lying you're just not sure about because they just, it's usually to, for your own, purely your own desire and not considering the other, maybe. <laughs> With lying, it's kind of um, an amazing... Usually there's uh, props that comes with it and a narrative that goes with as much object as as words, as smells. And lying and fiction, I think it's very, very close, of course. The thing is that when you, you say it's fiction or when it's lying, you don't say it's fiction. And I think that's why it's almost maybe closer to my work, I think, because <laughs> I'd rather not acknowledge the fiction. I prefer it belongs as one, you know, it belongs. The narratives are come as one. Um, they belong to reality or they don't have that, that hierarchy of what fiction is always cornered as being fiction, maybe. Yes, a bit like the bio or the title of the works are the fiction and uh, the shows are one big fiction together, I think. In terms of the uh, books, I used to really... It's true, it's different. There's so many fictions. We read the gossips of everyone's life. It's a big one. And I think for me, I'm quite into the, the characters of people. So I think there's some Stefan's Weg, a uh, chess player, was huge for me. Uh, just because of this, the possibility of getting so easily into a kind of madness of you, your brain being um, obsessed or controlling your brain and stuff. I think the chess player was, was very important. But then there's the fiction of, which are not fiction, you know, there's the mole man in East London. There was a guy who digged his own tunnel from his house and they're more fact than fiction, you know. Where does that start and stop? What's his own fiction that becomes a, a kind of reality or a fact that, that's taken by press, by the media? Or that is just slowly being... It's, I think the idea of people digging tunnels has always been huge <laughs> in my practice. Escaping or creating new new ways. Kafka as well, metamorphosis. I don't know. This, and of course, there's, yeah, there's so too much to say. But also, when people play with the way of, of making stories, and uh, Michel Bernstein, The Night, are really playing with how you tell a, a story, how do you focus on just description of the door for five, for a whole chapter, or do you get into, and that's always important. I like to, to question where's the, where the importance lies on, importance of the action, or is it in the objects, the, the reliques? There's also, uh, I love the books, uh, there's short stories of um, uh, the adult story of Roald Dahl as well. I think it's just push things just a little bit further from a sim kind of a simple idea. It's almost putting three words together and then you create a narrative, you know, and 
and make it as um, plausible as possible. No? A friend of mine, John Smith, was telling me how there's an interview on BBC when TV just started and they asked a group of young children, they just made an episode for children and they interviewed them, so what did you think of this TV, this story? They replied, the images were so much better on the radio. And I love that, the idea that the images on the radio are just so much more powerful, you know, because it's yours. <laughs> The images are always stronger with, uh, with your own. They belong, and that's I think with my the text, the signs. I like the fact that they they become. Um, it's uh, if you, if I say ideally here would be a window. It's your own window. I'm not painting a window. Or, I like that possibilities. The voice is definitely, for me, it's a material, isn't it? It's like the paint. So I've used my voice a lot because it's mostly very practical. I'm always there and I can always record myself and play on the level I, I wish to arrive. But also, um, I think with the video, this idea also, it's still um, playing on caring or tromplayant, but also empathy. Can an artwork have empathy? with you, the viewer, can it really, or it really doesn't care? Can it have a, an empathy to the wall or to the computer? Or The one that's in um, caring is it's a video that's made for another artwork, so usually I would present it on a monitor in front of an old painting or whatever, and it's just pretends to care and pretends it's a trompe-l'oeil a little bit, or it's a, the video talks much better than what I just said. I mean, of course, first is to understand an emotion. I mean, sometimes we just have an emotion and we can't, we don't, I mean, there's just so many types of emotion, I'm sure. I mean, where is an emotion? I mean, there's sensations, uh, cold, hot, sad, happy. Is sad, happy and cold and hot? The division between sensation and emotions. And I think maybe I'm more into translating sensation, both. Yeah, maybe both, but it's, for me, I think you're always, uh, how do you call it, in a competition with life in some ways, or with the beauty of, an art could never be the taste of a raspberry in your mouth, I think, an artwork, but can he trigger it and sort of enhance it almost, starts to gather a quantity of emotions in through images, through memories, of course, it's through, through someone's... Um, life and experience if I show someone eating a raspberry to someone who's never ate, eaten a raspberry it has hardly any effect I guess or it's more an effect of the unknown the translation of, of emotions is 
it's a language, it's a construct to within a society, <laughs> I guess, that is able to, who has already a certain language. Um, it's always been difficult with so many emotions that are not. But often I work with the subject, like, yeah, in reflection, we rest, it's like, can I rest with that show? Can I create that emotion of, of taking a break, of pausing? At the same time, I'm, I have to work really hard to get to this, you know, to create that pause. But you, you have to work for everything, I think, to pause properly. You have to... I think with translating this sensation of losing, being completely eaten by this other power of information or being... You feel swallowed by other... Try to articulate this, but it, for me, it's really... I rarely succeed, I think. It's a little corner, maybe, of an emotion that... Peter Kubelka talks about raspberries and memories and how we've learned to pick the right raspberry when you go with your parents or blackberry in the bushes, you know, and you you taste a green one and it's not good and your history tells you the really black one is the best. And then you have a memory system, you know, which keeps uh, that the best raspberry will always be stored in, in your brain, I think, and you'll compare... And also with pain, there's the biggest pain and in comparison. You just compare all the time in life. And I think that's by translating, you compare as well. I think when I make videos, it's through comparing the size of a smile or <laughs> comparing with the swallowing of the sun. Or you can compare to what you've, uh, your memory has stored. But also what if um, you gather so many blackberries in once and swallow it in one go, uh, what kind of effect it does, and the same with, with images, I think, and sound, and the connection we have to, to them, I guess. Emotion and feeling. Emotion and feelings. Oof. Um, I think you need to ask a philosopher this. No. <laughs> this is really about words, isn't it? Yeah, what's the difference? It's tricky. I don't. I think it's, it belongs to each other. I think huh? because an emotion often comes out of a feeling. It's a result of feeling left out, or and then you feel left out. <laughs> you know, the emotion. Then the emotion is feeling left out or lonely I, I don't know it's a question I can't reply I think yeah and misunderstanding and I think being a foreigner in a country which is not your own language, you have much more opportunity to, to look at language with distance. I think once a, a language which is really within you from childhood, a mother language, I think is um, harder to, to have the distance with it, I find. But if it's a language you learned later on in your life, you look at it more like an object, I think. For me, I don't know, I mean, some people manage with their own language, of course, as well, but I find the fact being an outsider, a foreigner, gives 
you reflect on what you're repeating, you know, <laughs> maybe more, or you get it so wrong that you start enjoying the, the mistakes and it opens a lot of avenues. But I don't write, no, hardly write. I take notes sometimes, but I hold back, and when I'm about to start, I check what I was notes, or I write, um, I don't, for the videos, I don't write. I write for my signs. I write with the image I find when I'm filming, and then I might add um, the text in the video, but it's more, it's almost for me, it's a bit more an image that I write or uh, on top of the image. So it's, yeah, I don't feel I especially write. Of course I use words. Uh, I don't find it like writing, it's weird. <laughs> For me, they're still images in some ways. The words are also, I think the material, they like clay or, because I don't write a thing that, oh, this is gonna be the beginning and this is gonna be the end. You know, I don't have this kind of A to B or, a to A again, maybe in the mind, but not in terms of writing, I don't. Jokes, humor. There's a lot of. I find John Smith, this artist, filmmaker, has got a lot of humor in his work. But I think it's something that is quite new, but it's kind of accepted. I'm not sure if it still is. Um, there's a kind of. The art world likes to be quite serious huh? and then being very uh, engaged in some ways. And I think some of those works are highly valuable as well. But I think to take every bit with derision or a pinch of salt, how. Society is organized. I think it's uh, really important. That sounds really boring, but it's very. Can't uh, say. I think I should reply with an artwork, which uh, ideally I would. Uh, this response would be more. Would be just. Oh, I don't know. A bit of. I think it's so hard to talk seriously about humor because humor has to be. Uh, has to laugh at itself. You know, have a bit of um, lightness. It's a way to keep a kind of lightness to to dramas and and that opens it's a way to to have much more uh, distance to the seriousness of the world and and have a bit of uh, being humble in some way you're humble like at the end everything's just this little sperm fishes that made you that sort of ends up with an egg and that makes a human that sort of takes himself so seriously and wants to. I mean, it's crazy. So if you can look at it all with a, a bit of um, more play, more, more not so seriously, I think you're, we're there to, to laugh at all at what humans have done. Of course, sometimes you need to really engage and question it because we fuck up a lot of stuff. 
But if we can do it with, with a good uh, love and at the same time uh, make our action evolve or change maybe, hopefully for the better. Yeah, I think it's just a way of talking humor. It's a way of, it's a language to communicate. Everything, everything, I think, is contains soaps. Uh, it's funny. A brush is excited and funny. A bottle neck, where does it have this huge long neck? Everything can be look. A tap looks. What's amazing in love objects are kind of connects to nature or animals, or that becomes quite. Yeah, I think it's more what you do with them or play with. Mops are funny, mops are dirty and funny, I like them. They've got dirty hair. Everything can become a broncosia. The idea of exchange, for sure, I think the work plays on a moment to, together and, and it's intimacy but with the awareness that it's also just a, an artwork you know or it wants to be more than itself so it wants to give you everything it can to to be with you and have its attention so I think it's a kind of trope as well it's a way to grab your attention by like I'm gonna tell you a little secret you know like if you come a bit closer and why don't you give me your your phone first as well it could be very uh, it could be intimate. It's also letting go of your own guards or your own mindset. And of course, film and video, we use a lot of senses, the sound, uh, this movement. You can um, gather and take over someone's personal. <laughs> it's a lot about playing with letting go and control. And the voice is very directive in some ways. but. It's also the intimacy of being able to have a moment of pause, I think, and being together, for sure. It's a lot about who you are in the room with, as much as, as the artwork, but who's there with you, or are you just there with the work, or do you... So I think the intimacy is also the intimacy you might have with, with the wall that's there, which you, you're sharing that experience with, and that's what I think... Um, I try to, it's almost intimacy with everything. When you're in someone you pose, you're watching somebody's experimental work or whatever the, the artist is doing, but it, to connect you to, to all that is there. And I think that's when, for me, the intimacy is, is in that sense. You have the intimacy of all that's around you, even if the voice pretends to be almost a character with you, but she basically could wants to connect you with the seat you're sat on so that you don't you don't separate yourself from what's there. I think that's how, uh, for me, intimacy uh, maybe works. And it's a kind of a trunk play because a real intimacy, for me, I mean, there's moments which are so private, I think, <laughs> for intimacy, which are very... Uh, when you make a work, it, it's a fiction of... It's a lie, but it's still there, you know? <laughs> I think it's, yeah, where, um, to who you're talking, I guess, the intimacy can talk to, to about everything. It's definitely this idea of connecting as well. I think it's more about 
telling secrets and that creates intimacy saying things you never told anyone and I think if an artwork tells you you know I'm gonna tell you something I never told anyone and you're the only one I wanted to see today I'm so happy you're here and it's kind of uh, you take it with humor but at the same time you want to let go and believe it and, and be carried by exchange and hopefully what's interesting with the work is that once it's done it's it's out there it's his own animal I've got connection to it, but at the same time, it could also be not completely mine, or, and it goes off, and it changes with time, it changes with who sees it, and how, and that's wonderful. It's kind of a, you're not, you're just a little something that started this animal. <laughs> Hopefully it's a big cat, and it comes and sees you sometime. But it's free, it's in nature, it's free, it's in a garden. Promise No Promises is a podcast series produced by the Gender Center for Excellence, a research project of the Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW, Academy of Art and Design in Basel, conceived as a think tank tasked to assess, develop and propose new social languages and methods to understand the role of gender in the arts, culture, science and technology, as well as in all knowledge areas that are interconnected with the field of culture today. If you're interested to get more information about further podcasts and events related to this project, please visit dertank.ch or subscribe to our newsletter at info.kunst.hdk at fhnw.ch. Recording and editing, Sonia Fernandez-Pan. Final editing and voiceover, Elena Ziesel. Music Stephen McAvoy. Research Team Tabea Rothfuchs and Marion Ritzmann. Press and Communication Anna Franke. Technical Support Esther Hunziger, Karin Bohrer, Konrad Siegel and Chris Handberg. Copyright by Institute Art, Gender, Nature, HGK, FHNW 2022.